right, Matthew. We go to the book of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15. We're going to start here this morning. And uh, as we are looking toward our meetings upcoming, uh, we want our hearts to be prepared. We want the Lord to have his way in our lives and his will in our lives. And I believe as um, the Lord was working in my heart through this week, he drew me to Matthew 15. We're, uh, we're going to look at just a portion of it and then actually go to Jeremiah. So while I'm speaking, you can put your finger in Jeremiah chapter 17. Um, but I believe that we don't want to be poor stewards of what God has given us. You know, many times we open a gift, and gifts are wonderful things to open. We opened probably at least one gift on Christmas, and I'm sure that we probably have opened gifts that are very precious to us, gifts that we take care of, gifts that we steward. And the evangelist is a gift to the church, and his time with us is precious. And we want our hearts to be ready and to, to steward what God has given us. And so my heart was drawn this past week to these passages. We probably won't get back to Matthew 15, maybe just in reference, but definitely not um, in full until next week. But we find here that as many times it happens, Jesus is with the people and the Pharisees and the scribes were always trying to trip him up. They were always trying to find something, to find some way for, for Jesus to, to make a statement in which they could find a chink in the armor and, and begin to pick away at him. But Christ was a, a master at not just knowing their hearts, but, but when they came to him, his, his answers were just filled with God's word. This is a time, like the others, that they come to Jesus and they make an accusal, and it's a pretty serious thing. Look at it with me. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Now, I want you to consider this because there, there's, uh, the accusal begins to reveal a heart attitude, a heart issue. The Pharisees come and they accuse the disciples of transgressing. What is it to transgress? Transgress means to either kind of sideways go around or, or to push beyond. And in this accusal, this was really a, a big accusal because it was about their purification. Why, why don't your disciples wash their hands? And it is said that within the Jewish tradition, within the commentary of the law, that to not wash your hands, to not do that purification process could be worthy even of death. And so this is a strong accusation they're making. This isn't just something that, that they're 
being petty about. I mean, they, they, they think that they have Jesus uh, by, by the throat now. They think that they got him cornered because a transgression was a big thing. But Jesus so masterfully turns the tables. And he says, why do you transgress what? The commandment. Ooh, wow. Now, it says later that the Pharisees were offended by that. And I think they were offended for a couple of reasons. One is because they were supposed to be the learned men, the doctors of the law. They knew everything about the law and everything about the tradition. Did you know that in that day that there were teachers who taught that when it came to the law to take the tradition as heavier than the law? To take what men said, to take the interpretation of men of the law and how to keep the law as weightier than the law itself. And so Jesus is really digging into a heart issue here. Let's keep looking at it. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor thy father and he that curse or mother and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Let him be stoned. Let him be put to death. The, God says, honor your father and mother. But ye say, whosoever shall say to this, his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Now, I want you to think about this. What was he talking about? What, what, what did it mean for them to say it is a gift? It was simply this. Many of the Pharisees were men of means in that day, and, and one of the commands in Scripture was to honor father and mother. And that meant not just taking care of your own family, but even when it came down to uh, your parents in that day, if your parents had a need, if they maybe were destitute in life, you were to take them in, you were to take care of them. And so that was part of honoring father and mother. But Jesus says, when you say... It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. What was he talking about? Well, the tradition said this. If, if the Pharisees or if a person declared their abundance as a gift to God, it was called Corban. It was set aside for the use uh, of God's work. It was set aside for God to do something with. Then he could tell his parents... I don't have anything to take care of you with. And so verse 6, that's why he says, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. But look at what Jesus goes on to say. <clears throat> Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. There's strong words. Jesus said, you have taken the law of God, the very words of God. And by your tradition, by your own thinking, by your own interpretation, by, by the things that, that you want the Scripture to say, you have made the Scripture as if it didn't exist. 
as if the command of God doesn't matter. He says, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's a very serious accusation that Jesus is making. And what does he do? He literally goes to the heart of the matter. You ever considered that, beloved? When we, we have sin in our life, it's a heart problem. When, when we are choosing not to be near God, it's a heart problem. And right in the very center of, of what Isaiah said, look at it, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, honoreth me with their lips in verse 8. But here is the crux of it, but their heart is far from me. I wonder sometimes in our lives if we don't use our interpretations, our traditions to create a departure or to justify a departure of our heart from God. Look at things in our life and, and maybe we excuse them. Maybe, maybe we look at them and say, well, you know, this is, is good enough. It, it, it pleases me, therefore it should please God. We, we make excuses. You know, sometimes, beloved, tradition can become a rut. You ever thought about that? You say, how can it become a rut? Well, just go into any average Baptist church and change up the order of service and look at the reaction. <gasps> oh, my goodness, he preached before we sang. What's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe God will be honored and glorified despite the fact that preaching came before singing. Isn't it amazing how tradition can become a rut? The Pharisees were living in a rut. that had let them remove their heart far from God. Sometimes habits unchecked can become a rut, right? Things that we let into our life we don't even think of. Maybe they're not inherently sinful, but they become a rut. We get stuck in them. We take our heart away from God. A lot of things that can become a rut. You know what a rut is? You might know what a rut is. It's simply a grave with the two ends kicked out. We find ourselves in desolate places because our heart isn't right with God. It's departed from Him. We'll come back to this and, and look at what Jesus said in a little more detail next week. But go with me to Jeremiah 17, because Jeremiah had his finger on the pulse of his people in his day. We know that Jeremiah came on the scene, and early on, he was preaching repentance and returning to the Lord, and it was in the height 
of the Jewish prosperity. There was even revival going on in the land. But there was pending doom. Things were beginning to change. Wonder if people were starting to get comfortable. You know, comfort can become a rut sometimes too. We get comfortable with where we are. We get comfortable maybe sitting in our seat, the same place and same row at church every Sunday. We don't look around. As long as I occupy my space, I'm comfortable. Everything's okay. I want you to look at verse 5. I'm going to read all the way through verse 8 because we see two trees here. What drew my heart over here is later in Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees, he talked about that which God planted. And it immediately took my heart to Jeremiah because Jeremiah sees two trees. So let me read this for you and we'll kind of dive in and and make some application to our lives today. Verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm or his strength. And whose heart departeth from the Lord? For he shall be like the heath or the bramble bush, like a tumbleweed in the desert. And shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Wow. You ever think about a heart departed from the Lord, how lonely it is, how lonely it can be? Verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, And that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So Jeremiah uses the illustration of trees as he looks at the life of the people. And I believe that that this really is an exposure of the heart the heart of the people of God at that point. And and we'll see it because it continues to talk about the heart in verses 9 and 10. But look at verse 1. He's writing to his own people. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with a point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of what? Their heart. And upon the thorns or horns of your altars, whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the hills. O my mountain in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoil and thy high places for sin throughout all thy borders. And thou even thyself shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee, and I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever. And even in these times that, that were seemingly prosperous as Jeremiah was prophesying, there were the temptations of of the people of that day to make alliances with with people like Egypt and Syria and Assyria and Babylon 
and others to strengthen themselves, to, to make their, their, their living and their lives better. Jeremiah speaks what the Lord sees as he looks into their hearts. God's not happy with them. So he does a little bit of heart exposure here. And he says, listen, you're like one of two trees, my people. You're either like the bramble bush or you're like the tree planted by the water. So this morning we're going to look at the two trees of Jeremiah. We're going to ask ourselves, what what tree am I? What I see growing in the soil of my heart? What do I see growing up in my life, my life represented as a child of God? First one that he brings out is that of the tumbleweed. Now, I have seen tumbleweeds before. I've been out west, and uh, they're an interesting thing to see the first time, and pretty much after that, who cares? They're pretty boring. They blow with the wind, they get in the way, become fire hazards. They're not good for sheep to eat, they're poisonous to sheep. There's no purpose for them. And so I said, well, you know, I want to learn about the tumbleweed. I wanted to share with you a little bit that I learned. Early species of tumbleweed are not a native part of the landscape of American West. They actually, uh, and once they mature, dry out and detach from the root and are no pun intended, gone with the wind. But they're invasive plants that hitchhike to the United States with imported flax seeds during the 1870s. They're, one species is called the Russian thistle, and it resulted in one of the fastest plant invasions in American history. There are a lot of species that exist, but the Russian thistle is the the best known. In the spring, it grows bright green, and and it it looks beautiful. Huge, beautiful green bush. It's got reddish and purple shoots on it. It's got kind of green flowers that are surrounded by prickly bracts on them. This seed arrived when Russia imported grain from Russia, flax seed, by immigrant farmers, came in and they began to farm in the West. In 1881, in the county of Bonhomme, South Dakota, they gave the United States Department of Agriculture permission to do research on the tumbleweeds. The tumbleweeds, consider this, had reached the California coast by 1895. And so think of this, in 25 years, in the prairies where the farmers were farming, the tumbleweeds began, and 25 years later, they've reached the California coast. Well, the head of the study was Lister Hoxie Dewey, and he reported that the weed posed an existential threat to farms, spreading rapidly as it is over new territory and becoming more destructive in the region it already infested. He said it threatens serious consequences unless prompt measures are taken to subdue it. I want you to, to get this. 
these shrubby plants excelled at one thing, seed dispersal. That's why they're tumbleweeds. It's said that one plant can disperse as many as 250,000 seeds in its wind-driven wanderings. Think about that. We see in this passage, in verses 5 and 6, what God says is a heart that is departed from the Lord. Jesus said that as well when he quoted Isaiah. The word depart means to, to turn aside, to, to turn from following, to make a linear movement in a direction with a focus that there is a change in direction from a course or path. I want you to think about this. The tumbleweed has a very tiny root system. And it's designed to break away from its roots as it dries out. Now, how scary is that to a believer when we think of this illustration in our spiritual lives? The tumbleweeds, the bramble bushes in our heart break free, rapidly dispersing its many seeds of sin and defilement in our lives and the lives of others. And so we see this, this bramble bush, this heart that is departed from God. Let's look at its condition. Look in at, at verse 5, and it says, Thus saith the Lord, what? Cursed be the man. Cursed is the idea, not that the Lord is presuming a curse. All right? We as, as his people... We don't, we don't have the judgment of sin, right? It was taken care of at the cross. And, and, and so the, the picture here is not that, that our heart departs from the Lord and he curses us because we've departed. The idea is, is this, that is as we depart from the Lord, we presume upon ourselves a curse. Curse of our sin, curse of being far from him. And so the condition is not a good one. As our hearts move away from him, as we do things like the Pharisees that we just read about in Matthew chapter 17, as we allow tradition, as we allow ruts into our lives, as we, <clears throat> as we allow things to get in the way, to cool our heart toward the Lord. Beloved, have you considered that in doing such, we are pronouncing a curse on ourselves, cursing our lives. You say, well, how bad is this curse? Well, let's look at it. Look at the disposition of this curse. Let's read the verse again. Cursed is the man, or be the man, that trusteth in man, maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord, for he shall be like the heath in the desert shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. We see in his disposition that there is a barrenness and a lack of fruitfulness. I know maybe you look at your life as, especially as we're, we're preparing to go into these, these days with, with uh, Mike Schrock 
Maybe you've already taken some spiritual inventory as you're praying and asking the Lord to reveal to your heart those things that need to be worked on. And, and you're finding within your heart, within your life, that you're seeing a barrenness or a lack of fruitfulness. We find that in a couple of ways he deals with it in these verses. First is this, trusting in human strength and wisdom. Trusting in human strength and wisdom produce a lack of fruitfulness. I don't have the verses up for you today, so we get to practice turning in our Bibles together. And I want you to see these verses. Turn to Psalm 146 in verse 3. Psalm 146 in verse 3. Look at what the psalmist says about trusting in man. Trusting in man brings a barrenness, a lack of fruitfulness. It says there, put not your trust in princes, nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. Beloved, where, where are we putting our trust? Where do we go? And, and, and especially as Jeremiah is kind of describing this instance in the life of the people of God and the heat is being turned on. You know, the desert is not always a, a hot place. Sometimes it's very cold. Sometimes uh, it drops below freezing. There are times where deserts go through, many deserts go through a spring season, right? Isn't it amazing to see the desert in a spring season? Oh, it's gorgeous. The tumbleweeds are gorgeous. They're, they're, they're full, they're green. There's some lushness that you find in it. But when the heat comes, what begins to happen? The thing begins to dry out, turn brown, becomes barren. There's no fruit. You've seen the stereotypical scene maybe in a movie or a show of the man wandering across the desert and he's seeing mirages and he's searching for water. He's so dry. And maybe you find yourself in that place. Barren. Lack of fruit. A lack of water. Beloved, in our lives spiritually, in our hearts, we can produce that when we put our trust in man. Can I just say that that I'm thankful for our political system. I'm thankful that we can be represented, that our voices should be heard, and we ought to make them known. But beloved, can I just say that in November of this year, if you put your trust in man, I don't care who's elected, you're going to be disappointed. Man disappoints us. Why? Because man is sinful. We need to be careful about putting our trust in man in the strength of princes. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 22. Look what Isaiah has to say. Very much in, in the same position Isaiah finds himself as Jeremiah and prophesying to a people whose heart has departed. They're, they're stuck in a rut. 
I would say many probably not even realizing because they're not even evaluating. They're just carrying out their, their duties, their, their religious practices, their religious traditions. But Isaiah says in chapter 2 and verse 22, Cease ye from man whose breath is in, the, in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? Beloved, we shouldn't be trusting in man. Isaiah reminded us that, that we have breath in our nostrils, but where did that breath come from? Remember what it said in, in Genesis? God formed man out of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Where does life come from? It doesn't come from my solutions. It doesn't come from my New Year's resolutions. Probably all of us have already broken at least one of if we made them. It doesn't come from willpower. Life comes from God. Change comes from God. Barrenness is done away with by the life of God imparted in our own heart. Yet these were a people in the midst of some of the greatest times that had been seen in their nation in quite some time. And Jeremiah says, you are barren and unfruitful. You've put your trust in human strength. You've put your trust in the governments of Egypt and Assyria and Syria and Babylon. You've put your trust in man. But we also find it by relying on worldly resources. Jeremiah saw it in his time. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. And I, again, I want you to see this. We're looking into his heart as he is uh, preaching to his, his, his people. I want you to see what's going on here. Verse chap, uh, Chapter 2 and verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Oh, the Lord was looking back to the day when the relationship was sweet. When there was a time where Israel was near to him, their heart had not departed. Oh, beloved, as we look at our hearts this morning, maybe that is your testimony where you're looking at time saying, oh, there, there were better days. There were days where my heart was close and now there's a barrenness. There's a lack of fruitfulness. But look at what they did in relying on worldly resources. Look at verse 9. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, with your children's children will I plead. Thank the Lord for his grace and long suffering. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see. Send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. They become barren. We walked away from the glory of God. Does it not matter in our lives anymore? 
Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. Now notice this, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Oh man, it was, it was the neatest thing. I wish we would have been able to do it, but we, we weren't equipped to do it and ready to do it. But as we went into the Negev desert uh, one day on our tour of Israel, we, we went out and just looked at the barrenness and the vastness of this desert where the children of Israel uh, were wandering. And as we were uh, riding through on the in the uh, bush vehicles, we came to a place where we stopped and we walked down a path. And as we got clo- uh, closer to our destination, we could hear people laughing and then we could hear people splashing and then we could see vegetation. And, and we came upon a spring that was deep enough that people were jumping off of the, 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 the small uh, cliffs that surrounded it and jumping into the spring and people were enjoying cooling off in it. They were swimming in it. It was a refreshing place. It affected the, the, the climate. You, you felt different. You know, it wasn't like the dryness of the desert that we had been driving through for miles, but you could, you could feel the, the, the moisture from the water. It was refreshing to see there was a coolness about it. And also many times in our lives, we think that we can depart from that fountain of waters that's there in the, in, the, in the springtime and in the summertime when it's dry and parched and there's vegetation because the, the fountain of living waters is there and we think that we can wander from it and we can hew our own cisterns. Here God's people, they forsook him hewed out cisterns, but not just cisterns, they were broken cisterns. Couldn't hold water. There are a couple of bad things about cisterns. One is, is if they do hold water, a lot of times you get stagnant water. You ever drank stagnant water? Water that sat a couple of days you thought maybe that was your water bo- bottle that you set down and it was really one that you set down like three days ago and you pick it up and drink it and ugh. And the other thing about cisterns is when they're cracked, that's bad is they don't hold water. So what are you continually trying to do? Trying to fill it with water to keep the water levels full. When Christ, when, when, when we can draw near to Him and we can draw near to God, and beloved, we don't have to fill our cisterns because we have the fountain of living waters there. No barrenness, no lack of fruitfulness. We don't have to rely on worldly resources. We have the fountain of living waters. <clears throat> but their disposition was also this, a vulnerability to drought and desolation. Now they're vulnerable to drought. They were blind to God's provision. They were blind to God's guidance. You know, just down the way, we didn't get 
get there in Matthew. We'll see it next week. But do you remember how Jesus described the Pharisees? They were the blind leading the blind. You ever thought about when we come to that place we're barren, we're lacking fruitfulness, we're vulnerable to the drought and desolation, and we become blind. Don't even see God's, God's goodness in our life. We don't, see, we don't see His guidance. Look at, at First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter with me. Second Peter chapter one. Peter speaks to this. He knows the importance of being near to God. And he encourages his readers to build on their foundation. We see all of these things that, that will make them fruitful. Comes the end of the list in verse 8. All of these things added. He says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... And here is the heart that departs from God. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, beloved, it's important for us to, to take inventory, to take a stock of our life and our heart. Why? Because we can find ourselves in such barrenness and such lacking and such dryness to the, the vulnerability to the drought and the desolation that we find ourselves blind to our God. And Peter says, even to the point where we have forgotten that we were purged from our own sins, our old sins. We find ourselves returning to the things that God delivered us from before we were even saved find us returning, ourselves returning to sin that, that maybe we had struggled with and, 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 and were bound by and the Holy Spirit at, at some point gave us victory over in our life and we rejoiced in it, but now we're back in a place of blindness. We don't even see it. We find ourselves in a place where we're saying, how could I even be a Christian? Blind to God's guidance. Neglecting spiritual nourishment and growth. Look at Psalm 71 and verse 13. Psalm 71 and verse 13. The psalmist says there, Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. We can find ourselves confounded, consumed. We can find ourselves in a place that is very difficult in our life. Tumbleweed is not a good tree to be. 
that we as believers can find ourselves in that place. But I want you to look now, go back to Jeremiah 17. And let's look again at his prophecy and preaching here at verse 7. But blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river. And shall not when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now we find the oak tree picture of a faithful heart. And although we, we don't see heart mentioned in this verse, again, we know that this is, is the, the, the crux of it because of, of Jeremiah dealing with the heart uh, multiple times in this passage. We find a heart that is near God. A heart that is near God. Zechariah repeats the word of the Lord to the people, return to me and I will return to you. You see, that's the heart of God. God doesn't want us to be in the barren and dry land. He doesn't want us to be unfruitful. He doesn't want us to be blind. He doesn't want us to be parched spiritually. He wants us to be like this, this oak tree that is planted by the river. What do we find is his condition, his condition or uh, uh, condition is that he is blessed. He's abundantly blessed. And this carries the implication that as I draw nigh to God, then I am imparting blessing on my life. Just like the curse. If I, if I depart from God, I, I'm, I'm bringing that curse into my life. If I draw nigh to God, then I'm imparting, I, I, I'm bringing this blessing into my life. What do we find in his disposition? Why, why, what happens because he is blessed? Number one, he's firmly rooted in God's word and promise. He's firmly rooted in God's word and promise. And we find that a couple ways. One is he's trusting in the Lord wholeheartedly. And the other is this, he's anchoring his faith. We're anchoring our faith in the unchanging nature of God. I want you to think about this. Look, look at verse five. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that what? Trusteth. All right, now back down in verse 7. Blessed is the man that what? Trusteth in the Lord. Same word. A wholehearted trust. Can I give you another passage where that same word is used? Proverbs chapter 3, it says in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. Oh, wow, that goes actually back up to the bramble bush, doesn't it? In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I'm 
firmly rooted in God's word. I'm trusting in him. I'm wholeheartedly with him. It doesn't matter if the heat is poured on because I am planted near the river, near the fountain of life. My faith is anchored in the unchanging nature of God. Love what it says in Hebrews 6, 19. What? We have what? An anchor for the soul. Deuteronomy 32, in verse 4, he's referred to as the rock. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the everlasting arms. Oh, beloved, when we draw our heart nigh to him, when we return to him, he will return to us and in turn we'll have that fountain of living waters that is watering the, 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 the soil of our heart and our life. And even though it can be dry as a desert around us and our circumstances and the heat are pouring down upon us, we are resting in our God and in his unchanging character. See, beloved, it's not about what I do. Can we go back to to Matthew chapter 15? Can we go to our scripture reading today? What was it for the Pharisees? It was about all that they did. No, and, and they couldn't just have 600 and some laws that were in the Old Testament. They had to have a multiplicity of laws for every law interpreting how to live it. Why do we think Why do we even consider that hewing out cisterns in our life is the right thing to do? When we look at the Pharisees and we say, duh, look at how you have to live your life. You're bound to your own tradition. You're stuck in your rut. When we can draw nigh to God, we can live the royal law and we can be watered by the fountains of life or the fountain of life firmly rooted in God's word and promise. The second thing in his disposition is flourishing in times of trial and testing. What does Jeremiah say? For he shall be as a what? Tree planted by the waters. Do we even have to turn there? What psalm should we be thinking about? Psalm 1. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Drawing strength from God's presence and power. It's not about doing. It's about coming to God. It's about seeing his character and saying, God, I need you to do this through me. And Lord, that means when I hear your spirit speaking to me, I'm going to obey. Lord, as I read your word and I see what I need to do, I'm going to obey, not in my own strength, but in your power, by the power of your spirit. You say, well, I don't feel God's presence. Look into your heart. How have you departed from him? How have you blinded your eyes? How have you ended up in that place that is barren and unfruitful? 
What does God say? Return to me. Deal with it. If you need to fix it, fix it in my power. If you need to get rid of it, then mortify it by my spirit in your life. When we do that, we can bear fruit even in challenging times. So I ask you today, what heart, what tree are you as you look at your life? Next week we'll look at at evaluating the the condition of our heart and, and, and... and what Jesus said about it and, 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 and helping our heart through the word. But this morning, the question is, where's my life? Am I a tumbleweed? Am I living in barrenness and unfruitfulness? Or am I planted by that, that, that river? Am I, my roots deeply set my enjoying, even in, in the heat of my life, fruitfulness and joy and peace and rest because I'm feasting off the fountain of living waters. I'm feasting off the one who breathes life into my life. Isaiah said it well in chapter 55. He said this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is yet near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous men or man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And here's the joy of today. Don't sit in your seat and be discouraged if you find yourself in a barren place. You find yourself as the bramble tree, the tumblewood, <clears throat> being blown by the winds and, and, and <clears throat> just sowing more seeds of destruction in your life. Why? Because when we return to the Lord, what happens? He'll have mercy. He will pardon. Just like the father who stood waiting for the son and he saw him coming over the ridge. You know what? If we find ourselves in a place of barrenness where our heart is departed from him, life isn't what it is. I've allowed habits in. I've allowed things to come in that have just separated my heart from God, things that I need to take care of, you know what? Come to him. Why? Because he will have mercy on you and he will pardon you and you will have that restored fellowship that you long for. You know what? We may find ourselves as a tree planted by the water and I encourage you, if you find yourself in that place, praise the Lord for it, but don't let the rut set in. There are always things that God is at work on and changing us in our lives and let him do it. 
But wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, beloved, if we would follow the advice of Isaiah this morning and return to the Lord, seek him while he is found, and be a church that is experiencing the mercy and pardon and and the, the reviving life of the fountain of waters in our lives as Mike comes. What an incredible four days that will be. So I encourage you this morning, follow Isaiah's advice. Seek him, return to him. Know the joy of his mercy and his pardon. And may we be the oak tree individually. And may we be a church that is an oak tree planted by the water, our roots going down deep. But Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you as we have looked at Jeremiah speaking to your people and reminding us of our own spiritual condition, our own heart condition. And Lord, we are never betrayed or can never betray by what comes out of our heart. The condition of the heart of the people was written in an iron pen with a diamond point. Lord, the truth is our heart cannot be denied if we will look at it in your truth and in your reality. Father, no doubt there are those of us here this morning who are experiencing a barrenness We've been reminded of things this morning that have come into our, our lives and have made our heart depart from you. Oh Lord, may our prayer be this morning, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming back to you. Lord, I, I want in these desert seasons, these dry seasons of life, Lord, I want to know the fountain of living water. Lord, I don't want to taste stagnant waters from cisterns that don't even work. Lord, I want your refreshing. Father, I pray as we we take these next days before we are blessed by the gift of Mike Schrock, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, that you would prepare his heart. Father, that that we would go into that week and Sunday having already submitted ourselves to your will and, and, and not resisting, Lord, not holding on, but Lord, going into that, that, that season of preaching and saying, Lord, fill me, Lord, Give me your word. Lord, change me. Lord, energize me in the work and ministry that I have here. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient. So, Father, we take just these next few moments as we meditate on your word this morning. Listen to your spirit in our lives. Father, we ask 
that it would be fruitful. That, Lord, your work would be displayed by our obedience to you. And so, Father, we give these moments to you as we meditate, as we respond to your spirit. And may you be glorified in these moments and in our choices and actions. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of it in our lives. Lord, may you be glorified in what change you've wrought. Lord, may you be glorified in our obedience to your spirit this morning. Father, we do lift up and remember the walkers. Lord, I pray that you would minister to their hearts, minister to Trisha's family. Lord, we pray that you would just allow your presence to be felt and known. Prayers of believers as they are lifting them up before you. Pray the same ministry this morning for Sue as she's continuing to see a very different life than what she's known for 62 years. Lord, pray you'd work in her heart, keep her encouraged. Father, we ask that you'd give us a good afternoon, Lord, that you would just give us rest and then safety as we come back tonight. Lord, we look forward to what you have for us as we come together in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can look up this way. Jerry's going to come and uh, dismiss us in a word of prayer and uh, give us, I think, just a few announcements.